You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Thanks for checking out this podcast presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, or XL Energy Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota football, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. The following is a 1500 ESPN Twin Cities production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Go get that first down, then get a touchdown, rock em, suck em. Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast. We are at U.S. Bank Stadium after the Minnesota Vikings 17-14 win over the Green Bay Packers on Sunday night. The Vikings could have injury concerns this week with Adrian Peterson. They could have some other things to worry about with the offensive line and some penalties, but they slay the Dragon in their opening act at U.S. Bank Stadium in front of a loud crowd, in front of a fire-breathing Viking ship, Minnesota Orchestra, Prince Tributes, uh, members of the New Power Generation. It was quite the festival here at U.S. Bank Stadium, and the Vikings send the fans home happy with the victory. Uh, ben Gessling from ESPN.com here breaking it down with Judd Zolgad and Matthew Collar from 1500 ESPN. Guys, what was, uh, what was your take on, the, on the, uh, the opening act at the stadium tonight? I would say uh, my take was very impressive. Uh, the fire is a little bit hot, though, because yeah, it, in the, the first row box, of the press box. I didn't like that. Uh, but I, I would say that the overall theme I, I think I took from the Vikings from this game and this win against the Packers is very simple. Mike Zimmer's done a really good job, I think, of establishing a team that is resilient. And, and I say that because when Adrian Peterson goes down in, in the third quarter with what looked like it could have been a significant knee injury of some sort, and we don't have details right now, you know, there have been times before where I think the whole stadium, there would have been a pall over the entire stadium and the players, blah, blah, blah. I think the Vikings and Zimmer deserves credit for this, have become resilient and are good enough at basically looking at whether it be Peterson or Bridgewater or a guy going down and saying, okay, that's fine. And they, they, they go on uh, from there. So I think the thing that I took from this win and this team is the continued resiliency of finding ways to be successful when one, it's not pretty, and two, it might not come with some of your best players. Yeah, for me, it's that finally, it's been a long time since the Vikings have had a wide receiver as the centerpiece of their offense, and maybe even a quarterback for that matter. We'll find out more as we go forward with Bradford. But the star of this offense is not the running back anymore. Whether Adrian Peterson comes back and continues to play or whether he's out for the rest of the season, it's Stephon Diggs. 
He is now the centerpiece of the offense, and he proved it tonight. The biggest stage, Sunday night football against a tough defense in the Green Bay Packers. And he puts up 182 yards in two straight weeks of over 100 yards. Once with Sean Hill, and then with Sam Bradford right away, whatever you want to call it, chemistry, in sync, he was dynamic, and his touchdown catch was phenomenal. And at the end of the game, on third down, in a place where almost every team in the league runs, they turn to Stefan Diggs. He doesn't make a catch, but he draws a pass interference penalty. I think he's moving himself into star category, and I think the best chance that the Vikings have to have a successful offense is now throwing 10-plus times a game to Stefan Diggs. I would pump the brakes a smidge on that just in the sense that the two long plays they hit to Stephon Diggs were off of plays where the Packers were loading up to stop Adrian Peterson. We will see what happens if Adrian Peterson's not available, how that will change how people play the Vikings. The early reports that I've heard uh, from a couple sources on Peterson is still needed to get the MRI tomorrow. We'll get a better sense then. But the early feeling is that they probably avoided an ACL, which is certainly a good sign uh, if, in fact, that holds through in the morning when Adrian Peterson gets his MRI. But the, the hope at least initially from the people I've talked to, is somewhat optimistic that he will be back this year. It's probably likely, though, that the Vikings could be without him for at least a week or two, I mean, depending on on what exactly we're dealing with here, and we'll know more in the morning. But if they're without Adrian Peterson, what do you guys think? I mean, is this is this sort of ushering in the the utopian future that Judd Zolgad often talks about? Or is this another curveball for a team that's already had to uh, hit a few more off-speed pitches than perhaps it would like? Well, I'm not sure if it's the utopian future that I've talked about, Ben Gessler. Maybe dystopian? Utopian's too happy for you. Probably apocalyptic, dystopian, uh, zombie takeover sort of thing? I don't know. I think what this is, is I think what, what we're seeing is... Peterson was, he averaged, averaged what, 1.6 yards per carry against the Titans. Yeah. The same tonight. Um, I don't know if, if we're finally starting to see him just slow down at 31. I, I went back and looked. I think it's now uh, seven of his last eight games dating back to last year. He's had one 100-yard game in that time. Uh, so I would say what this is, is this is an evolution of the offense, all of that being said, there's two things at, at work here. One is you can't tell me it's a good thing not to have Peterson on the field because he does make defenses account for him, which can, as you alluded to, Ben, certainly help the passing game. Uh, but if I'm going to sound the alarm on something right now, boys, offensive line. The offensive line looks really disjointed, you know, they, and I, I get it. They've got a new high-priced uh, left guard. The left tackle's a question mark. The right tackle to go back to Smith's time in Cincinnati is a guy who's been a flop for a lot of his career. But all of that being said, I think if there is one primary concern about why Peterson can't get going, why Bradford was under pressure at times tonight, certainly probably too much, the offensive line to me has got to be something that if, if I'm the coaching staff, I'm saying to myself, something's not right there yet, Matthew. 
No, I, I feel the same way. And with uh, putting the RIP on Adrian Peterson in terms of the age curve, I wrote the column this week that it's too soon to really know if Adrian Peterson has hit the age curve and if he's going to start falling off or not. I mean, we're only a couple of games in. And if you, even if you go back to the end of last year, there's a couple of games that we're counting that are against Seattle, which was the best running defense in the NFL last year. So you would expect Peterson to struggle at times. And if this is the offensive line, you're going to give him for the rest of the season, he's going to end up with three yards of carry because almost anyone would end up with three yards of carry. Now, I thought that they were poor in pass protection as well. Four sacks, a bunch of hits for Sam Bradford. He leaves the game with a swollen hand that's got a big cut in it. Sam Bradford's going to have a tough time surviving if they continue to play like this. And one thing, Alex Boone after the game was talking about how the crowd was too loud when they were on offense out there. And it was so tough. many words, yes. He it, said something like that. Yeah, uh-huh. Pol- very politely, he mentioned that uh, the fans needed to... Shut the bleep up. Yeah, pipe down a tad. <laughs> yeah, just as I turned on my recorder, I was like, okay, <laughs> we're not live there. Um, but... I got to say, it's not really something you want to hear from one of your offensive linemen after they've just struggled as well. It was kind of the crowd's fault. Like, I'm sure maybe some percentage of it was. Maybe some Packers fans in the building or people excited to be here. But what was the excuse for last week against Tennessee? Because this offensive line has been about as poor as you can get in the first two weeks. Yeah, it hasn't been very good. And, and Alex Boone certainly was one of the culprits of that last week. And we'll have to go back and <clears throat> see how things shook out tonight. But, uh, yeah, it has not been good, and it's going to become an issue awfully quick here. I mean, they go into Carolina next week. That's going to be a team that, that will give them some trouble if they're not better at protecting Sam Bradford and opening holes for whoever it is that's carrying the ball. I, I will be very curious to see if Peterson doesn't play what then becomes the approach to defend them because now you're going to say, okay, they're going to try to throw the ball a little bit more and, Maybe they can adjust some things with Jarek McKinnon in there. I mean, some things that you you might be a little more flexible with. Although, they did try a lot of things tonight with Peterson that we haven't seen him try. I mean, they had him motioning out of the backfield in the shotgun. They had him catching passes out of the shotgun. I mean, there was a lot more of an attempt to spread things out than we've seen with Peterson before. But I will be curious to see how people defend them if, in fact, they're without Peterson for a little bit of a stretch of time here. Yeah, there was even a wildcat in there, I think. Cover so, two. Yeah, yeah. Peterson had joked this week that he was playing quarterback, so he technically did not lie to us That's about true. that. And I really, I really think, though, that he had a couple of runs where you felt like, all right, he got a little bit of a burst there, and he was starting to get maybe something going. Yep. But, it, again, with the case of getting the ball and just being immediately taken down, and it's a helpless feeling when the offensive line isn't good. There's no way to solve it. There's there's no one you can trade for. The backup guys are worse than the starting guys, hence why they're backup guys. I mean, what they might can not you, be. That's if, a scary thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll try and see. It's <laughs> as poor as they played these first couple of weeks, if you just threw the other guys in there, I mean, literally, how wor- how much worse could it be? And when you have that feeling that even with one of the better running backs in the league, if he's still got anything left of the parts of him that were fantastic throughout his career, he should have had two better weeks than this if he's got any holes to run through. With McKinnon, though, he does offer the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, which Sam Bradford last year was using his running backs a ton in Philadelphia mm-hmm. to catch the ball out of the backfield and had some success with that, especially in the second half of the season. I like that McKinnon brings that extra sort of uh, you know lightning to the offense he had what what two I think two carries two yards 
I, I don't think he's healthy. He's been on the injury report yeah, for the first agree. couple weeks. I agree with there's you. something up there because there's no way. I think in training camp, the intention for McKinnon was to use him a lot more on third down. And he's being used some there, but I think he is. I think he's a guy who's banged up. But it's really intriguing when, when you consider the fact that with Bridgewater done now for at least a year and Peterson out, let's say, two weeks or so, probably. This offense right now is going to have none of the stars, co-stars, and or the thought process on August 27th was what? Bridgewater's developing. It's going to be great. Yep. But, but you know, Adrian's still AP, and he's going to be fine. And now you are looking at going into week three of the season in Carolina with Sam Bradford, McKinnon, Asiata, Diggs. It's not that the fundamental structure changed completely, but the personnel has changed dramatically within the past month, or, or actually less than a month, you guys. And yet, they're 2-0, and all. they're atop the NFC North, and no Xavier Rhodes tonight, which I thought was going to be a big issue, and it darn near was. Uh, no Sharif Floyd, and yet they still hold the Packers to 14 points and force, what, four fumbles? Uh, in three, yeah, right here. I think I think it could have been they, four. Yeah, I think four, there were four, four and two losses. Yes, mm-hmm. and it should have probably been three or four loss. But that was, I thought, a, a pretty impressive performance from Mike Zimmer's defense. Yeah, especially since he had a cornerback in there who makes a great play at the end, and that'll be what people yeah. remember. Yeah. But throughout the night, Trey Wayans was abused for the most part, and still there was enough pressure on Aaron Rodgers. And I think maybe the biggest key here is the Packers couldn't run the ball at all. So even if Pat, if uh, Rodgers was having some trouble at times yeah. and was getting pressured and hit and fumbling and getting sacked, that they couldn't just turn to Eddie Lacy and let him dominate. He was He had maybe one big run, and that was it. Trey Waynes, though, his performance tonight, to me... It's the game Mike half, Zimmer hates with his corners. Well, and, and first half, pretty solid, I thought. Second half, at times, was off the tracks awful. And then he, he makes the, the, the late pick to make up for it. But you talk about a position, the cornerback position in this league has to be about as, as close to what? Closer in baseball as you could possibly get. Because Trey Wayne's second half, if you go through that, I think you're going to find that that second half was a complete disaster at times, and yet he survived. And as as you said, Matt, the one thing that people are going to take away is, but at the end he made the pick. But it's like, oh, my God, you barely made it through that thing. Well, I mean, you hear Mike Zimmer talk all the time about if you make a pick but you get beat four or five other times, that's not a good night. And yet – Mike Zimmer, obviously, it's after the win. He's got to defend his player, and, and I get that. But, I, I mean, some of it, too, is the circumstances of the moment that when he had to make a play, he made a great interception on the sidelines yeah. to kill that drive. So it was not a good night for Trey Waynes overall. But the fact that he was able to hang in there and make a play at the end, I think, is something to build on, at least, that it wasn't a night completely full of, okay, you got to fix this, you got to correct this. This penalty was an issue. That coverage technique was an issue. Yes, but you at least have the interception at the end and, and it allows him to, to have a big moment. And maybe we'll be seeing more of him given where we're at with Xavier Rose's knee here. And, and that's going to be interesting next week with, uh, with Cam Newton and company down in Carolina. If they go to 3-0 and without Peterson, the guy that they thought was, was going to be their starting quarterback, and Rhodes, Mike Zimmer, just hand him coach the year right now. Seriously, 
I mean, if you think about if you think about the guys that this team is without right now, yeah, your top cornerback, your quarterback, who you had convinced the world that you were all all in, in on, no question, and Peterson. That's a hell of a coaching job right there to get if if you get there, especially if you go to Carolina win to get to three and zero. And you're missing Sharif Floyd, so essentially you're missing two of your yeah. first round picks from 2013. You're missing one from 2014, and you're missing Adrian Peterson. I mean, you're you're really without a lot of the the firepower that they've tried so hard to accumulate. And if they're able to keep winning, um, yeah, that that reflects quite positively on on the coaches and the scheme and and everything they're able to do to overcome some of these losses. Yeah, especially with an offensive line. And sorry to keep going back to it, that isn't really playing very well. I mean, to overcome that too. And it might say something. I'm interested to see with Sam Bradford if this is the Sam Bradford that is here on a consistent basis or if it's the frustrating Sam Bradford that has this type of game where he's really, really good. He was accurate all night long. He was giving his wide receivers, especially Stephon Diggs, a chance to run after the catch. There were a few times, and Diggs is just so good at it, but there were a few times where Diggs makes catches and he's got room to run afterward. And also with Bradford, let's say this too, there were a few meltdowns last year on national TV by him when he was playing for Philadelphia, the one against Arizona, where he threw something like, you know, three, four picks. And he just, and that's why I think people had a really bad taste in their mouth about him coming here was he had national TV meltdowns. And this one, you just couldn't have gotten onto a bigger stage than this. You're opening a new stadium. Chris Carter's here. Bud Grant's blowing on the giant horn thing. There's, like you said, there's fire coming out of a dragon. You're on national TV. Al Michaels is over there. I mean, it's just like everything is happening. And for him to play the way he did tonight and shrug that off and also have a hand injury while he was doing it on his yeah. uh, non-throwing hand. I think it, it said a little about him and just his mentality. I think people probably had wondered about that throughout his career being a top pick. I think Zimmer has is very good though at getting guys to play with, within themselves. I think he's very good at basically telling guys, this is what I need from you and I need nothing more. Because the problem for, for Bradford tonight would have been what? If Bradford had shown up and said, I got to win this game. I got to win this game. And I, I want to say on two of his first three throws, or his first two throws tonight, he got, got happy feet sort of, overthrew the receiver, and you're saying, oh, that's not good. And then he settled down. So I do think that one thing Zimmer is very good at doing is getting guys to, to understand, this is what I need you to do. I don't need you to do more than that. And that seemed to work tonight, too. Yeah, I, I think overall, for them to be through these two weeks, 2-0, and all, you don't want all the injuries, obviously, but to, to have had two different quarterbacks and to get two victories, it says a lot about how much they're able to adapt, and it says a lot about how good this defense is, is setting a tone for this team. Because I thought tonight, we talked about it with the run. I mean, Eddie Lacy has killed the Vikings in the past few years, and, and he did not do that tonight, obviously. And, and they were able to put a lot of pressure on Aaron Rodgers without – I mean, there were times where they brought pressure. They they had a couple blitzes with Anthony Barr, and, and you know I think Harrison Smith came a couple times. They had Captain Munderland, I think, once on a quarter blitz. But a lot of it was Everson Griffin yeah. handing David Bakhtiari his lunch. I, I thought Everson Griffin completely dominated that matchup, and Daniil Hunter obviously did some things over on the other side. Before he gets hurt, Brian Robinson has a strip sack. Um, you know, a lot of nice pressure from that front four, and that really, right now... If they're able to get that kind of pressure on a consistent basis, it, it does a lot to cover up the fact that 
maybe some of the things on the back end aren't exactly where you want them. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers ends this game with 5.9 yards per attempt, which, I mean, if you keep Aaron Rodgers to under 6 yards per attempt, I mean, you've got to feel like you hit the lottery. And then the player that I had highlighted this week about, you know, watch out for this guy because he's back from the injury was Jordy Nelson. And he had a couple of plays. He, he probably always will almost every game. He had a 21-yard catch where he beat Wayans. He had another deep ball where he beat Wayans. But for the most part, he didn't have the big one. He didn't have the 50 or 60 yard touchdown. And he also didn't control possession because sometimes Nelson is so good off the line and on short passes that they can keep going to him and going to him and control the ball the entire way down the field. There were uh, there were fourth quarter Packer drives tonight where if you've watched the Vikings for a long time, you were saying to yourself, okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. This is a Favre or, you know, they're going to drive right down the, the, the field in this case and they're going to score a touchdown and the Vikings are going to lose by three and it's going to be. But this defense now, and, and it's remarkable when you consider what, two years ago, three, three years ago now, Aaron Rodgers would come into the Metrodome or TCF Bank Stadium and just carve them up. And just and he would hit every pass necessary and you would just say, there's nothing the Vikings can do. And so to see him harried and pressured is funny, Ben, because you know, there there was a time where I'm telling you, in that fourth quarter tonight, you would have said, This is the series on which the Vikings are going to lose the football game, and they would have. He he does not look like well it, it, I'll, I should back up it's probably not all him Jordy Nelson does not look like the same guy to me mm-hmm. that offense does not look to me like it's going to get it back together or that it's adjusted to what people were doing to stop it last year because the book on the Packers is out you press their guys at the line of scrimmage throw off Rodgers timing with them you play over the top you take away the deep stuff you play a lot of two man coverage and you make Rodgers dance around and, and make him check it down because he doesn't want to have to do that. I mean, you saw a lot of times tonight even where he's dropping back looking for something to develop 15, 16, 18, 20 yards downfield, and he's getting pressure in his face too fast to do that. It, it still just looks like the same Packers offense that hasn't figured out how to adjust to people, and I wonder how much of that... I mean, we, we've seen the Vikings be able to handle Aaron Rodgers now the last three, four, five times they've played them. Mm-hmm. Other teams are trying to do that, too. I wonder how much of that is going to become an ongoing issue for the Packers as they try to, to keep up now. I mean, they're they're behind already in the division, and you know we'll see they get the Lions next week, and the Vikings have to go on a, on a tough road game. But it does feel like the Packers' offense is uh, running out of uh, things to dig into their bag of tricks for. Yeah, we looked at last year as, well, they don't have Jordy Nelson. Yeah. So it's got to be Jordy Nelson. It's got to be Jordy Nelson. I mean, they were bringing in guys that you've just never heard of off the street to be wide receivers, and Rodgers had it tough. But at the end of the season, he ended with his lowest career yards per attempt uh, ever, under seven yards, yeah. which is below league average for Aaron Rodgers is really stunning. And the other, I don't know if there's anything wrong with Rodgers particularly. I don't know why he would have gotten less accurate, or maybe it is just uh, some dysfunction on that side of the ball. I thought there were three or four throws tonight that he just missed, that guys were there. And maybe that's a regular thing, but he usually just hits the big ones, and tonight he didn't, or he can't hit a big pass here or there. But I thought there were a few times where they had him on the move where he could be really dangerous, and then he would pull up, hits one of them to Nelson on a deep pass, 
But there were a few times where you, you're looking downfield going, oh, man, he's got a guy. They're in trouble. The pressure got to him. And, yeah, he didn't make the play. I thought there were a couple times where he yeah. threw to Jordy Nelson expecting Jordy Nelson to run like Jordy Nelson. Yeah. And he did not do it. And the other thing that you hear people talk about with Rodgers is when he's got to dance around so much, he's throwing so much more with his feet not set. And that's fine if you can make throws. But there are a lot of times, I think you'll hear people say this, that he he throws with his feet on the move even when he has a, a split second to set it. And you just wonder if if that has led to some bad habits or if some of the pressure he deals with is kind of getting to him. I don't know. It's it's It was interesting to see it because, yeah, there were a couple times where he had Nelson on, on the sideline and man coverage and you thought, okay, here we go. And whether it was Nelson not being able to catch up to it or Rodgers just overthrowing it, it, it did not look like the – the Packers offense that Vikings fans probably see in their nightmares. Perhaps there is or some half. there is some friction too between the quarterback and the chief play caller for the Packers because that's been the case for a while. Yes, exactly, and I I know that that it's existed, and I would not be surprised if we find out in the coming weeks that there that has existed again and has reared its ugly head, which of course for our purposes is great because it always makes our job more interesting when people don't get along. Of course it does. The, the sports grinch would love nothing more than to dine on, uh, on dysfunction. Packer dysfunction is a lot of fun, I guess. Well, sure. What did you guys think of the, uh, of the stadium overall tonight? The, uh, just the, the scene, the environment, the, the crowd, whatever it happened to be, what were your impressions of the stadium now that we get to see it, uh, the real thing and not just a dress rehearsal? I think a, uh, a first or second round playoff game here would be incredible because this place is deafening. If you think about, if you extrapolate this to a uh, first round game, let's say against Seattle or a team like that in you the stadium. You want to go back there again? But I'm just saying this place, this place for game one was deafening. Yeah. This place is so loud. So Some of that's Packer hatred, I think, feeling sure, a little bit. But I'm just saying if you have an alcohol-fueled crowd in, in here for a playoff game, yeah. My biggest takeaway is I think that, that that would be a huge advantage because I would guess in a postseason type game, you couldn't, you couldn't think, basically, if you're you know Arizona, Seahawks, team like that. I've not been to Seattle uh, for a game, but this is the loudest NFL game that I've ever been to. It's hard to get a read on it in Seattle from the press box because the press box is closed. Yeah. So you don't really get a full sense of how loud Seattle is other than to ask players about it after the game. Obviously, here now you don't need an enclosed press box because we're inside. So you do get a full sense of how loud it is, and it was really loud in here tonight. I thought – and we're sitting in a different vantage point than we were in the Metrodome, but I thought it was every bit as loud mm-hmm. as the Metrodome was, and, and certainly – a bigger sound system that they are not afraid to blast. Um, we've, we've heard that really since the start of the preseason, but I thought the crowd tonight was uh, was incredibly loud, and I mean, to the point where it even affected the Vikings, as we heard Alex Boone uh, hint at before. Hint at. Just, Just shut the bleep up. Yeah, yeah, I guess it was, there was not a lot of hinting. No. Yeah, no. no, not so much. But the entire pomp and circumstance around the game was pretty impressive. I mean, yeah, I so. think if you were one of the people that uh, went to Schmub Schmub and uh, bought a ticket from somebody else and paid a lot of money for it, you probably went away saying, like, I couldn't have gotten any more my money's worth from the very beginning, even just the fact that they're rolling out some legends and things like that and, uh, you know, all the effort that was put into it. So they had a lot of A-listers here in terms of Vikings. Did, yeah. Well, they were, they were missing one, and I suppose he was working on Sunday NFL Countdown today. 
Yes, he was. But they could have flown him here by Randy tonight. Was. Oh, they man. need to make up with the super free. Well, actually, they? what they have to do, and I, I've said this for a while, what they need to do with Randy Moss, and I'm not kidding you guys, is retire his number ASAP. Just rip it off Cordero's back? He changed the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, as a receiver, the reason why in 1999 the Packers drafted yes. tall corners was because Ron Wolf watched Randy Moss in October of 98 completely own his team and said, we have to get tall cornerbacks. First three picks were corners, weren't they? Randy Moss changed the game, and his second stint here was an awful, unmitigated disaster, boys. But the next number that is retired should be 84, and this is coming from a guy I don't even like Moss that much. Yeah. But you have to respect what he did, not just for the Vikings, but the game itself. And by the way, keep in mind 28 should not go up before 84. No, it, it should not. And keep in mind, too, the, the now aging Viking drunk fan here tonight who's yelling and screaming is a product of. The Randy Moss team. Yes. The, the the last blackout this organization ever experienced was the last regular season home game in 97 against the Colts. And that was aging Viking fan who had gone to Met Stadium, who was a diehard Viking fan, but, yeah, was pretty quiet. I mean, there was a time in the 90s when people were upset because the Dome wasn't that loud. Randy Moss comes here in 98. They go 15-1, and one, and who gets on the bandwagon? The then 20-somethings who say, this is the greatest thing ever, we love Moss, and they are the fans. So Randy Moss, in some ways, his uh, tenure or his joining the Vikings in, in 98 changed things massively for this franchise. All of those are reasons why this franchise needs to retire his number. Yeah, I was 15, I think, when Moss came in, and... Um... I think it was the year Red McCombs bought the team, too. And there was all, you know, Red blathering out about the noise of the stadium and the NFL. And it was when Moss got going. I mean, it was it be, that's when it became the, the house of horrors that it became for other people to come in. And, yeah, I mean, it, it, Moss certainly I – mean, when you say now-aging Vikings fans, I, I thought you were – <laughs> going to be referring to people that were in high school at the time, like myself, but it it, You're getting old too, it warms my heart that you you went with an older, a, a bit older generation of Vikings fans than uh, people that would, would be my age. But that's a little uh, damn it. I am getting I older. Said you. I am getting older, but if I'm getting older, that means you are too, Jen. I'm going great. Well, I am a little bit too, but that's not because of age. That's because of it's because of the team factors. you cover. Yeah, it, it might have a little bit to do with that. I was going to try to find a nice way to say it, but. Uh, you, you beat me to it in a, in a less nice way as you are want to do. So <clears throat> to sum up tonight, there uh, may not have been a revolution uh, here with the Minnesota Vikings, but there certainly is a new power generation in town. Stephon Diggs looking like he's going to be the focal point of this offense for the next couple of weeks, at least with Adrian Peterson. We'll have to see how things play out. But uh, pretty impressive stuff for the Vikings in week two and week one at U.S. Bank Stadium. We will be back. This week to preview the matchup against the Carolina Panthers as the Vikings try to go down and beat Carolina in a home game for the first time, I believe, since 2013. I don't think they've lost there since then. So that'll be quite a challenge for them as they go in there, and we will uh, keep you updated this week at ESPN.com and 1500ESPN.com. Thanks for listening to this Purple Podcast. Hope you enjoy your evening, and we will talk to you soon.